Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, so first off, let me just say, man, this stinks. Like, I really wanted to be here this weekend in person as we kick off a new series, For God So Loved. But if I've learned anything in 2020, it's to be flexible and to be adaptable. And so that's what we're doing. We're just kind of rolling with it. Man, really, it's because we have such a great team around here that we just keep pressing on. And so let me just say thank you for those of you that have been praying for me and my family during our quarantine and during a positive COVID test that I received uh, a week or so ago. I'm feeling fine. Our family's feeling fine. And we just hope to be back in person very, very soon. But I love this time of year. In fact, how many of you love this time of year? Put it in the chat if you really love the fall. I love the seasons changing. I love the holidays. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Christmas is approaching. My wife has already put up a tree in our house. In fact, it was up before Halloween. The Big Ten, come on, college football, let's go. Even the NFL, for all the Steelers and Browns fans, I mean, you gotta be loving this year. I also love this time of year as a church because we are nearing the end of 2020. And it's always the time of year where we get to, to ramp up our generosity in our city and beyond. And you already heard about our Christmas outreach that's coming up. And it's gonna be a great opportunity. We're gonna have a lot of fun just blessing people in our city, sharing the love of Jesus in our city. We're partnering with my good friend, the Bishop Curtis Jones at the New Life and Spirit Revival Center. He's graciously opened up his church so that we can host a free toy store for families there's going to be wrapping stations and coffee. You heard all about that. But we want people to get connected to God and to a great local church. In that same weekend, we have the opportunity to go above and beyond in our financial giving as we bring our very best for our Until Jesus Runs This Town offering. Now, you know that if you've been a part of this house for any amount of time, that is a great opportunity to advance the mission of God through this church in our city and beyond. And that offering is not maintenance, by the way. It's advancement of the mission to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ. And in years past, our church has given literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars beyond our walls, approaching on a million dollars, really, towards outreach so that we can touch people in our community and around the world. And we have an opportunity to do that again this year to a whole new level. And I'm gonna share with you in this series about what God is doing in and through this church and the opportunities that we have coming up. So here, I hope you make it a priority to be here for every week in this series for God so loved. And during this series, I'm gonna share with you where I believe God is taking us as a church. I'm gonna share with you some of the challenges that come along with being a growing church because you know every church has problems. In fact, I would say if you are looking for the perfect church, don't go because you'll mess it up, right? They don't exist. And it all depends on what kind of problems you have. I have, uh, I call what we have high-class problems. And I'd rather have high-class problems than other kinds of problems. High-class problems are like, hey, we're growing so much, you know, as a church that we need more space. That's a, that's a high-class problem. It's kind of like if you tell me that your hot tub is broke. 
don't feel bad for you. Are you with me? That's a high class problem. Pastor, please pray for me. My hot tub is broke. I'm not praying for you. You got a hot tub. And I can say that because I got a hot tub. It's it's a high class problem. Or it's like you complaining that the oil change for your G-Wagon is too expensive. Listen, I don't care. That's a high class problem. And so as a church, you can have problems, but I'd rather have the kind of problems that we have. You know, uh, we need more space. And I believe in 2021, God is moving us into more communities and we're gonna reach more and more people with the gospel, the for God so loved, right? People are finding out about the hope that they can have in Christ Jesus. And so we've got to respond to that again, because for God so loved, And it's not only something that gives us a great hope personally, but it also means that we have a great responsibility to share the hope that we have. And so I wanna tell you how we're gonna do that. And then I'm gonna share with you how you're going to be a part of the solution. In fact, right now, look at your neighbor and tell them you're the solution. Come on, tell them you're the solution. You might not even know it yet, but you're the solution. Anytime someone tells you, by the way, there's a great opportunity in front of you, here's what I think most of us think of it in terms of risk and reward. In fact, we think of it through the lens of risk and reward. Like if someone were to tell you, hey, I've got a great investment opportunity for you, you would look at, look at it in terms of what's the risk and the reward. And the interesting thing is that all of us have different tolerances for risk and reward. And we have different tolerances for risk. Some of us, when we think about risk, you know, we get an adrenaline rush. Like we want to skydive. We want to jump off the cliff into the quarry. You know, we want to jump off the bridge into the lake. And, and personally, I'm a risk taker. Uh, like that's, that's my bent of a few years ago. Uh, I did the whole skydiving thing with some friends. And by the way, the risk wasn't jumping. It was getting into the plane in the first place. I jumped out of an old broke down rusted, uh, you know, plane. And I just remember the rush of free falling and then the, the adrenaline rush again when the parachute opened and, and I hit the ground. I was like, man, let's go again. And some of us are like that. We get offered a new job and we're willing to leave a 25-year career because the opportunity of the reward is so great that we will take that risk. But then some of us, come on, we're on the, the other end of the risk pendulum. And we think of risk, uh, when we hear that word, we just think, nope, you know, nah, I'm not gonna do it. You know, I'm good, I'll hold back. In fact, we think danger, we have red lights going off in our mind whenever we hear the word risk, right? We start to feel unsafe, we start to think that there, there's no guarantee, and of course there's not, because that's the idea behind risk and reward. You could either have a great reward, or you could have no reward at all. And a risk is usually one or the other. It's usually jump out of the plane or stay in the plane. There's no halfway. It's either one or the other. It's like all in or not at all. And here's the deal. If you think about life through the lens of of risk and reward, it, it, it doesn't make you a good or bad person, by the way. If you're a more risky person, you're not a better person, maybe more fun, but it doesn't make you better. Or if you're, if you're kind of risk adverse and don't really like to take risks, it doesn't make you a, a bad or good person. Boring, I'm just kidding. 
but it doesn't make you bad or good. Your level of comfortability with risk and reward is not a good or bad thing, right? It, it just is what it is. And it's usually the life experiences and, and your personality and all of those things put together that determine how you approach risk and reward. But here's the danger with all that. And here's the danger as followers of Jesus is when we begin to think of our relationship with God through the lens of risk and reward. And we begin to think of how, how we interact with God and how we, we choose to respond or, or even not respond to the instructions of God in our life through the lens of risk and reward. Because the reality is God doesn't operate in risk and reward. God operates in, check it out, promise. He operates in promise. God does not do risk and reward. And so if you approach your relationship with God through the lens of risk and reward, then guess what? You're gonna miss it all together because God operates on the idea of, of promise. Somebody shout promise wherever you are. Promise. He is a promise maker and a promise keeper. In fact, a promise is a guarantee that something is going to happen, that it's going to come to pass in your life, that it will take place in the future. Now, the thing about a promise is that a promise is only as good as the promiser. Are you with me? It's only as good as the individual who is making the promise. And come on, you've experienced this in your own life. You have some people that you just kind of understand when they make a promise to you, you just adjust it and recalculate it to get into the reality of their ability to fulfill that promise. Like, for, for example, uh, you have a friend that says, I'll meet you at Starbucks at 9 a.m. And you know there is no way. Like, it would be a miracle of God for them to show up at 9 a.m. And so you recalculate your expectations to go, all right, I'll see you at about 9.15, 9.30. Right, because never in their life... Are you with me? Have shown up on time. Or, or let me give you another example. Husbands, don't amen this one because you want to go home tonight and you want to sleep with your wife and possibly other things. But when she tells you, I'll be ready in 30 minutes. Come on, husbands, again, just sit there, act like you have no idea what I'm saying, look shocked right now, but when she says she'll be ready in 30 minutes, you know that you got time to maybe like fry some chicken, make a baked potato, right, watch a football game, like you might even be able to fit a, a movie in there somewhere. That's about how long 30 minutes is because you've experienced a different reality on that promise of it'll just be 30 minutes over and over again. But God does not work that way when it comes to his promises. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 says that for Jesus Christ, the son of God does not waver, look at it, between yes and no, that he is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I, I as the apostle Paul who's writing this, he says he's the one that, that we preach to you and as God's ultimate yes like Jesus Christ is God's ultimate yes. He always, somebody say always. He always does what he says. If God says he'll be ready in 30 minutes, he'll be ready in 30 minutes. He's never late. He's always on time because he always does what he says. Look at verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. In other words, any promise that God has given to us has already been fulfilled in Jesus. 
with a resounding yes and through Christ. And they've been fulfilled in Christ and through Christ, the Bible says. And so God, listen, he always does what he says. He always does what he says he's going to do. And Paul tells us that, that Jesus himself was the ultimate yes. He's the ultimate example of God's ability to keep a promise. That's what he's telling us. It's kind of similar to what Paul said in Romans chapter eight when he wrote to the church in Rome and he said, if God wouldn't spare his only son, Jesus, and by spare meaning that he did not stop him from going to the cross and that whole brutality, if he wouldn't stop that, then how much more will he graciously give us all things? That if he wouldn't keep Jesus from us, he wouldn't keep Jesus from, from going to the cross so that he could fulfill a promise that he made to, to make a way for us to have a relationship and restore us to the Father. Again, because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And if you'll keep that promise, right, how much more will he also say yes to the other promises that he's made to us in his word? Because again, he always does what he says. Somebody going to say always, always. And there's never been a promise of God that has gone unfulfilled because he always does what he says. In fact, he's saying, what more proof do you need than the cross of Jesus? Do you need to know that I am a promise keeper, that I'll keep my promises in your finances? If you'll trust me, I'll keep my promises in your relationships. If you'll trust me with it, I'll keep my, my promises as it relates to your career and your calling and your purpose, right? Because I've never let one of my promises go unfulfilled. And he says, if you need any proof, look no further than the cross. If you need any example of how I come through in your life, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, just look at the cross because he always keeps his promises. Look what Joshua said in Joshua 23. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, Joshua is saying, now I'm about to die. Joshua was an old man at this point. He had lived some life and he had said, uh, you know, with all your heart and soul that not one, not one of all the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed. He says, every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Look at that language. Not one all, every promise has been fulfilled. That's a lot of definitive statements right there. In fact, in our house, we say things like, don't use absolutes. Don't say things like always or never. Like when my boys say, dad, you never let me watch Netflix. Like I'm about to hurt you, child. Really, I, I don't really hurt my kids. But you watch Netflix all the time. Don't say you never or you always. But how many of you know with God, we can use definitive statements like every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has ever failed. And with Joshua, he wasn't just speaking from an intellectual position. He was speaking from an experiential position because he had lived some life. This wasn't a young guy. He wasn't just starting out in life. He's at the end of his life and he's saying, I'm about to go back to the dust and I've learned some things along the way. In fact, if you remember, Joshua was Moses' protege. That means he can say, I've, I've, I've seen some things. Like I was there whenever Israel was without water and they were roaming around in the desert because of you know, unbelief. In fact, let me just tell you, some of you, 
you are roaming in a desert place right now in your life because of unbelief. Not because God lacks the ability to fulfill a promise, but because the promise hasn't yet been activated in your life because of unbelief. And Joshua says, I was there. Like I've been through some things. I saw when there was no water and God told Moses to to strike a rock and water came out. I was there at the bitter waters at a place called Mara because that's what Mara literally means. It means bitterness and and none of the children of Israel could drink from that water. And so Moses got on his knees and he he prayed to God and, and he said, God, what am I supposed to do? And God told him to, hey, grab a tree and throw it into the water. That, 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 that probably seemed like a ridiculous instruction. Moses probably thought, these people are going to kill me dead right here. But because you're telling me, God, to get a tree, I'll go get a tree and I'll throw it in some bitter water. And somehow, right, life-giving water will come out of that water. It will be drinkable and sweet. And so Moses got a tree because he believed what God had told him to do. And he threw it into the water. And the bitter water became drinkable and life-giving, which by the way, reminds me of another time God used a tree. That your life was bitter, my life was bitter, and there was a tree on a hill called Calvary that Jesus stood on and was nailed to, and because of that tree, God covers the bitterness of your life. Come on, somebody, because for God so loved. But Joshua said, I've been through some things. Are you with me? He's coming from a place of experience. I've seen in my own life that not one good promise of God has ever failed, even when the promise seemed ridiculous. Hello, Jericho. Like God told Joshua, hey, take the nation of Israel and march around the walls of Jericho over and over. Do it for for six days straight. Don't say a word, but then on the seventh day, march around seven times. And the seventh time, right, because numbers are significant. Seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of God. He says, march around it seven times. And the seventh time, on the seventh day, blow the trumpet, shout, and the walls will come down. No one in the history of the world had ever seen a wall fall because some people shouted and blew a trumpet, but Joshua believed right in the promises of God. Why? Because not one promise of God has ever failed. So he says, I'll walk around some walls and I'll shout and I'll blow some trumpets because not one. How many of you know that you could look back over your life and say, you know what? I've failed. I've faltered. I've not followed through myself sometimes. I've doubted along the way. But God, not one of his promises to me has ever gone unfulfilled. Not one time when I obeyed has the promise gone unfulfilled in my life. In fact, I could spend the rest of our time looking back over the history of this church and telling you how not one of the good promises of the Lord has failed us. But here's something you've got to understand If you don't get anything else today, understand this, that just because not one good promise of the Lord has ever failed or has been unfulfilled doesn't mean that you are living in or have access to the blessing that comes through that promise. Because here I am talking about, hey, not one promise, not one promise. And you could look back over your life, some of you, and this is what you're thinking. Yeah, Colby, but I thought God was gonna come through in this area of my life and he didn't come through. Or some of you are, are, are beginning to recount in your mind the times that God didn't show up when you thought he was going to show up. I'm, if I'm being honest today, God's promises have already been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That's what we learned. So the question then becomes, why aren't we living 
in the blessing of that promise. And here's the reality. God does work on the idea of promise, but we have a part to play in the promise, and it's called faith. See, with God, it's not risk and reward because risk carries the idea that, that I could win or I could lose. But instead, it's, check this out, it's faith and promise. Then my faith isn't a risk when I place it in the promise of a God who's never failed. In fact, faith is the most sure thing that I could do in my life when my faith is in the promise of a God who has never failed. Many of us put faith in a whole lot of things, do we not? Like, come on, you, you had faith today. You had faith in your car that it would get you here today to church. You might not describe it that way, but you got in it, you cranked it up, and you, you had faith, right, that it would start and get you here. That's faith. Or, or you had faith that when you sat down, whether you're in this room or you're watching at home online, that when you sat down in that seat that you're sitting in, that it was actually secure enough and stable enough to hold you up. You weren't questioning it, right, when you sat down, but you have faith. No, no one, you know, got into their seat and went, okay, I hope it works this time, you know, and sat down. Perhaps you put faith in your boss that you're going to walk in tomorrow and, and not, you know, be fired from your job or you, you put faith in yourself that you're going to be able to manage your money in a way that, that will end up well for you. We all choose to place our faith in a lot of things. And I've just chosen a long time ago that I would rather have faith in the promise of a God who's never failed because men will fail me, people will fail me, systems will, will fail me, the stock market right, will, will fail you. Some of you are, are thinking that the election has failed you to some level. But my God has never failed. And so I'm gonna put my faith in the promise because placing my faith in anything else apart from God is like playing the game of risk and reward. And although I like some risk in my life, I love the rush of adrenaline, I'm not out for risk when it comes to my family, my security, my stability. Now I'm going with a guaranteed promise of a God who has never failed me. I'm gonna put faith in his promise. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, that faith is the, the confidence. Faith shows the, the reality of what we hope for, for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith, the King James Version says, it's the substance, right? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So my faith isn't just a feeling, but faith is an action. It is the evidence, it is the tangible, physical evidence, this, the substance. In other words, everybody around me can see it. It's evidence of the confidence that I have in what God has said. In fact, there should be visible evidence of your faith. Let, let, me, let me give you this example. Let me just talk about our finances. Kristen and I, we return the tithe. That's 10%. Of everything that comes into our house, it goes back to God because he's told us that he is, the, the tithe belongs to him, that it's holy, it needs to be set apart. He's told us to honor him with our first and our best and he'll bless the rest. And so I'm going to bank on that promise that when I am obedient, that he will bless me. Now that doesn't necessarily mean financial blessing. Hey, let me just tell you, look out for those preachers like the, the ones that say, if you'll sow a seed for $75, God's gonna return it a hundredfold. No, no, 
I don't give to get something. That's not my motivation. I get to give. I get to honor God with what he's given me. And how many of you know God can send blessings in your life in a thousand different ways? Blessings in your marriage, Maybe it's a, a blessing in your family, a broken relationship that's been mended, a child who's been making terrible decisions, who's strayed from God, is now coming home to God. It could be financial blessing, never wanting for anything because God has provided for it. But the evidence of my faith in God's promise is where every two weeks, like clockwork, when we get paid, we honor God with our first. I return the tithe. The tithe is my evidence of the confidence that I have in the promises of God. Does that make sense? See, faith isn't, isn't a knowledge of his promise. Like any of you could get up here and just quote scripture all day long, but, but still have no faith because faith is a substance. It's tangible evidence of the confidence I have in God's promises. So what that means and one of the saddest things to me, really as a pastor, is I could live my, my whole life going to church, being around church people, knowing his promises, but never see them take place in my life because faith is the activator of the promises of God. God says, the promises I've given you, like they've already been fulfilled. And I'm just waiting for you through obedience to step into that flow of the fulfilled promise and receive the blessing. So I don't have to wait until I can see it. And I don't have to wait until I have the proof because the promise is all the proof that I need. In fact, let me say that again. The promise, the promises of God is all the proof that you'll ever need. And if I wait till I have proof, if I wait till I can have it tangibly in front of me, whatever it is I'm believing for, then that does not require faith. So instead, I'll walk by faith, not by sight, because the moment I begin to walk by sight, then I'm no longer in need of faith. The promise is the proof I'll ever need. Why? Because not one good promise of the Lord has ever failed. And so I have proof in the promise because the promise is the guarantee from God that what he said he will do. In fact, I wanna illustrate it to you this way because I think, I think it's gonna help you get it a little bit better. I need my helper. Come on up here, helper. Come on all the way up here and have a seat right here. Awesome. This is my youngest son. Why don't you tell everybody your name? Gray. Gray. I love that name. What's your full name? John Gray. <laughs> John Gray. How old are you? Three and a half. Three and a half years no, old. No, no, no. Three and three quarters. Oh, yeah. Three and three quarters. We just got to make sure that, you know... You get the full amount in there. Hey, did you go trick-or-treating? Yes. You did? Was it fun? Yes. What did you dress up as? Um, a Wookiee. A Wookiee? Is that like from Star Wars? A Wookiee? No. It actually is from Star Wars, but that's okay. Um, did you go door-to-door -door and say trick-or-treat? No, we didn't. No. It was a little bit different this year? Yeah. yeah, okay. So did you get candy? Yes. Did you get lots of candy? Yes. <laughs> yes, I know you did. In fact, I took some of your candy. That's okay. That's okay? Because I knew that I wanted to bring you up here, and so I took some candy that I thought might be your favorite candy. What's your favorite candy? Skittles. Skittles. So listen, I'm going to make you a promise. Is there lots of Skittles in that bag under there? Are there Skittles? 
maybe. So listen, here's, here's the promise I'm gonna make you. If you will, let me have the Skittles I took from your bag, I promise you, you'll get more than you ever imagined. Is that a deal? Yes. Can I have these? Yes. I know you love these, but if you give them to me, my promise to you is that you'll get more, okay? All right, well, I'm gonna keep these, but remember, because I promised you that you would leave here in a better place than when you came, I have these for you. What do you think about that? Good. You like those? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you get to have all those. Just don't tell your mom that I gave them all to you, okay? Thanks for helping me, buddy. Okay. You go back. Thanks, big guy. So if I, my point is, right, if I, you know, being a a person that has broken promises, that has messed up, could be trusted in that moment, right, to, to give him more than what he had, how much more could God be trusted with the promises that he's made us? Let me, let me ask you this. In my 45 years on this planet, There's been times that I haven't kept promises, and I'm sure you would say the same about you. But if I, being human, with a propensity to not always follow through, or to sometimes not to be able to follow through, if I could be trusted by my three and three quarters year old son in this moment, then why couldn't a God who not one of his ever promises, not one of his promises has ever failed, be trusted in every single instance in your life. Look what the Bible says when it comes to our stuff in Luke chapter 6, 38. Jesus said this, if you give, right, give and you will receive. If I, again, having the ability not to follow through on promises, can be trusted in that moment, why couldn't you take these few words right here and trust God whose promises have never failed. He says, give and you will receive. Again, we don't give to get from God. He's not a vending machine. We get to give. It's a a privilege. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, it says. And if you're a generous person, you know this to be true, that God will return your gift to you, sometimes in ways that money can buy, but often in ways that money could never buy. Your gift will always come back, though, it says, in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. This is harvesting kind of language. It says if you would take a basket of grain and and shake it and, and press it down, you'd make room, more room in the basket, so it could be as full as it possibly could. It says running over, pouring into your lap. Listen to this. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get Back Again, for God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is God's way of demonstrating his love and keeping his promise. And if God never did anything for us but the cross, can I tell you something? That's reason enough to give. But he says, I'm so good that if you'll give, I'll give back to you. That it's a promise from God, shaken pressed down, pouring over into your lap. And if I can be trusted as a human and have the ability not to follow through on my promises in that moment, then can't a God who has never had one of his promises ever fail be trusted as well? Look at what Proverbs 11 says, that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. 
You know this, right? If you're a generous person, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed and those who help others are helped. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. I can tell you that that's been true in my own life. I've seen that promise be fulfilled, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And I've watched that promise come true in the lives of people as well. So why wouldn't you trust a God in every moment who has never failed Not one of his promises has gone unfulfilled. To me, when you don't trust the promise of God, you're living a very risky, risky life. Isaiah 54, two says this, that we are to enlarge our house, build an addition, spread out your, your home, and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams, and your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle in the ruined cities. In other words, it's saying, hey, make room. Just make room. Expand, because as you expand, I'll fill it. And you know that that's kind of been the journey of Elevate Church over the last eight years. We've simply tried just to make room for people, make room so God could fill it. In fact, Early on, we were 15 people meeting in a living room, just 15 of us. And then it went to to 35 people meeting in in Harding School Library. Some of you might have even been there. And then on 2-12-12, we launched and, and 400 people came and filled that space, filled the auditorium. We made room and God filled it. And then we moved into this theater and then God filled it. And now over 1,800 people come on a, a weekend because when you make room for God, he fills whatever you bring to him. He fills it. And so we just believe that even in this season, it's our time to make some more room and to continue to reach more people because it's not about, it's not about buildings that we've been in. It's about the people that God is sending our way that need to experience his grace and his, his mercy, that need to experience a place of love and acceptance, a welcoming place where people can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so we're in this with you. Here's what you need to know. As a matter of fact, as a leader, I kind of have this philosophy that if I want you to catch the vision of what God has called us as a church to be and become in this city, I've got to bleed it and really pray uh, that you will catch it as well. So over the next few weeks, I'm gonna bleed it. And I'm gonna unpack for you a little bit about where I believe God is leading us to enlarge our house And that this is a a faith step. And listen, again, we don't exist to to have buildings, but we exist for people, to reach people. But they gotta have some place to to go on the weekend, right? And and that's why we have facilities. And so I'm I'm gonna ask over the next few weeks as we unpack this more and more and for you to just pray about how you and your family would be a part of our offering, the Until Jesus Runs This Town offering on December 5th and 6th. And I'm telling you about it now so that you have weeks to pray because we will never tell you what you should bring, but we will unapologetically ask you, ask God and just do what he says. And I really pray that none of you would excuse yourself from this process, but that you would engage and you would say, God, I want to hear from you, speak to me and I want to obey you, God, no matter what. You know, and put my faith in your promises because, again, investing in the kingdom of God has zero risk. 
Because when you invest in the kingdom of God, you're, you're responding to a promise that's already been guaranteed by a God who says not one promise has ever failed. And so this coming year, we're gonna give towards church planting like we never have before. Listen, with our partnership with ARC, the Association of Related Churches, this year during the pandemic, we've already planted along with them, 57 churches this year. Come on, how amazing is that? 57 churches this year during the pandemic. And we're gonna continue uh, by, by investing in our global partner, the Convoy of Hope, who has served now over 150 million meals during this season. And you are a part of that. Many of us were a part of that, giving out meals to so many that needed it right here in Erie. And of course, we're gonna to continue to do all that we can to advance the gospel in our city and beyond. And here's what I know. Like some people might ask the question, well, you know, Colby, 35 you know, people at Harding Library, 400 in the auditorium, now 1,800 a weekend. Like, like where do we go? You know, 3,000, 10,000, is it one location, two locations, three? You know, can't we just kind of maintain I mean, can't we just kind of, we've made a big impact already. Can't we just kind of, you know, continue with what we're doing? And my response is always this, that we don't get to make that decision. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And can I tell you something? God has given us so much. And there's a lot that's required from us. Because at the end of the day, it's not about land, it's not about buildings, it's not about facilities, it's not about trucks with gear to, to do portable churches, it's not about any of that, it's about people that are far from God that need to be reached with the love of Jesus because for God so loved the world that he gave. And at the end of the day, it's all about your family members coming to know Jesus, your neighbors, your coworkers, that we need to create environments both in person and online with excellence where they can come and experience something they've never experienced before, where God touches their life and changes their heart. Listen to me, it's about filling up heaven and emptying out hell. And that's what we're going to do at the end of the day. In fact, since we've launched, man, I love this. 4,585 people have indicated that they began a relationship with Jesus. Come on, that's something that we should celebrate. That's something that we should get excited about. And I'm just telling you, like in my heart right now, there is more vision than there ever has been. In fact, if I shared it all with you at one time, you would think I've lost my dang mind. And there's greater faith that I have uh, in the promises of God than ever before because it's a guarantee. And you get to be a part of that, just like Amy and Carrie and Christine, because every single number that I just threw up there represents a name. Every name represents a story, and every story represents a person that for God so loved. And so I'm gonna have faith in the promises of God because he said, right, that I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And you know who builds his church, how he builds his church? He builds it through you, through people, when we are willing to have faith in the promise that God has made. In fact, let's do this. Would you just stand right now, whether you're in this room or you're at home online, just bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just believe that our best days are not behind us, but in front of us. 
And we just believe that, that while what you've done in our past has been amazing, it's good, but you're not done. And we believe for greater things in the future. We believe in the simple fact that there are more people in our city and beyond that need to know your love. There are more homes that need to be restored. There are more marriages that need to be healed. More people that need the experience of the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit living in their life. And so we pray, Father. In the name of Jesus, that we as a church in this season, in this opportunity that we have, and in this moment, God, it will not pass us by, but that we will step up, that we will grab hold of of the promise that you've given us for your glory and for generations to come, that we would invest, God, and have faith in the promises that you've made because you're a promise maker. God, you're a promise keeper and not one good promise that you have made has ever failed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.